here are some questions for you and me, really, if I'm being honest. Can money be a source of joy and magic and not just shame or avoidance? Does the universe possibly support our desire to heal and do what we're here to do? Is there actually even something that we're here on this planet right now in this time and in this space to do? And what if ease and being exactly who we are in the world is something that might both heal our relationship with money and also attract more of it to us? <laughs> My name is Brandy. I'm your host, and I've been asking myself these questions a lot lately. I once heard my favorite tarot person named Sila Saderstrom, who you might have already heard in my episode with her on tarot plus Christianity, once say, healing happens in all directions. And I have really found that to be true. It was like, once I started to work on healing my body, it required looking at my mental and emotional state. And when I did that, the way I engage with work started to heal and shift. And once I did that, of course, it required me to take a serious dive into my relationship to money and to be honest about my finances. But of course, it wasn't in some linear progression like that. It was like everything happened all at once. Like Sila said, healing happens in all directions. Like once you start pulling a thread somewhere, it starts to unravel the whole knot, right? So working on one thing was also working on something else. In other words, it was this plus that. So, of course, welcome to This Plus That, a show about connecting the seemingly unconnectable and why it matters. In this conversation, I talk with Jesse Susanna Carnatz about the intersections of money plus magic. Because, you know, I don't know a lot of people who think of money as magic. Like, they think of money as struggle, they think of it as an annoyance, a thing that they avoid thinking about at all costs a thing they desperately want more of but have no idea how to get, a thing they are constantly running out of, a thing that if they had more of it, life would just be better, right? But Jessie Susanna, otherwise known as the Money Witch, is here to give us some practical wisdom and empowering rituals to heal our finances. She brings capitalism-critical, shame-free education to healers, hustlers, and creatives in order to catalyze change in their financial lives and believes healing our finances will bring blessing to our lives, our lineages, and our communities. And that is fucking amazing. <laughs> so she offers education, money magic products, and intuitive financial coaching online and in the Bay Area, otherwise known as unceded Ohlone land, and does it all with impeccable business lady style, of course. So if you, like me, need a bit of encouragement to believe that both your relationship to money and your material reality can be different, I think you'll enjoy this conversation with her on the intersections of money plus magic. Okay, so I start a lot of my episodes with quotes from other people that are related to your work because I love making sort of associations between yeah, different that's work your and thing. like yeah, yeah, weaving together things. So um, the sort of embarrassing thing is though that I uh, my reading has been terrible lately. I've just been so busy and I like I've been moving and I've been doing all these things. So like uh, I sort of keep quoting from similar people often. So. <laughs> Apologies to everyone who's listening who has to keep hearing me quote from the same people that I just adore. But um, I also like to think uh, of sort of pulling quotes as a, a type of 
Like it's like bibliomancy. Like sometimes I just like open a thing and I'm like, surely something in this person's work is going to relate to who I'm speaking to today. So this morning I opened up uh, Sacred Economics by Charles Eisenstein. I don't know if you've ever heard of Charles, um, but it's this beautiful book about like the sacredness of money and how we could actually run an economy that was good for everybody, basically, as everything crumbles around us. Um, and so there's a quote that uh, I open to, which is, we are here to create something beautiful. I call it the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible. As the truth of that sinks in deeper and deeper, and as the convergence of crises pushes us out of the old world, inevitably more and more people will live from that truth. The truth that more of you is not less for me. The truth that what I do unto you, so I do unto myself. The truth of living to give what you can and take what you need. We can start doing it right now. We are afraid, but when we do it for real, the world meets our needs and more. We then find that the story of separation, embodied in the money we have known, is not true and never was. Yet the last 10 millennia were not in vain. Sometimes it's necessary to live in a lie, to live a lie to its fullest before we are ready to take the next step into truth. Um, which I love because, yeah, I feel like so much of your work is really like I appreciate because you are actually bringing in not just the individual and the sort of talk about mindset and abundance and all of those things, but like actually being real about the the existence of structural inequality and all of these things that we actually face and being human and in embodied lives in, in the world. And so, yeah, I love that quote. And, um, I would say like, I would love if you want to riff on that, but like, also I think a lot of what I talk about and sort of open episodes with is like a question about what it, what you're holding in contradiction right now. And I think even as someone who works in money, I'm assuming that you still are doing your own work around money and what it means in your life, right? Like, and I think obviously like as people who do stuff in the world uh, in general, like I think most of us are people who teach what we most need to learn. So I was gonna start by asking um, like where, you feel in your life that right now you're holding specific contradictions or like nuance and tension around money in your life? Or if you're feeling like a very real sense of like a collective sort of tension that we're holding around money in this moment? I love that quote because it would take me a minute to find it, but I literally could basically find a quote in my own book that says yeah. almost exactly the same thing. Yeah. And, you know, I really like um so everything that I do is really completely channeled and from spirit and it's just mm -hmm. cool to see like these universal you know consciousnesses and the way that like different people tap into them and filter them through their lens but mm -hmm. the premise of the work that I do it's all based on what I call like healing your finances mm -hmm. and the reason that I am so preoccupied with this is it's like financial drama takes up so much space in people's lives mm -hmm. and it prevents us from being able to like fully participate in these conversations about like the world you know how we want to be in the world and like the world we want to create and it's sort of just like I'm like let it be less dramatic. You know what I mean? Like, let it be less dramatic so that it takes up less space so that you're coming to the table 
in these conversations about the world we want to live in, in a less like actively wounded, you know, or kind Mm -hmm. of like open wound way. Yeah. Because the world we want to live in, in this moment, I mean, in any moment, the world we want to live in stands kind of like in contrast with the world that we do live in. Mm -hmm. And, and what we feel is, you know, off about it. And everything that is off about our current world really is economically based, you know, like all of the caste systems of like control, you know, gender and race and class and all these things, like really they're economically based. So Mm -hmm. it's like when we show up with so much wounding in our economic places, it really impacts the way that we're able to show up to that conversation. Mm -hmm. For me personally, always, I mean, I am not in any better of a financial place necessarily than like (laughs) anybody, you know, reading the book, like maybe, you know, I'm in a much better financial place than I was when I started my business seven years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not where I want to be. I'm still doing all the work like in the book, you know, I realize all the time, like, I just started doing, um, like working with a coach for, I'd say last year was the first time in seven or eight years of having my business that I started working with a coach and we're really doing a lot of financial work. And I'm like, always like, yes, I know. Like I teach people how to do this all the time, you know, but it's like, (laughs) but it's a process. It's not just an intellectual idea. It's a process, right? So it's like, you can facilitate the process for other people, but you still have to go through the process, right? Like you could teach yoga, but if you want to do X, Y, and Z, like you still have to get on the mat and do the yoga. So it's like, I am on the mat doing the yoga hardcore right now. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, personally for me, like I'm, I'm doing the work, like I'm doing new work, I'm stretching, I'm in my process, like on a, on a divine plan. And I remember that question from like the beginning of starting my business where somebody was like, I, did you work out all your money stuff? Like before you started Mm -hmm. this business, you know? And I'm like, no, it's not about being an expert. It's about being like a guide and a channel, right? you know? And I think like a really concrete example of contradiction that I feel like or tension that I feel like I'm holding right now is I'm working with a coach and she was like, you know, basically like everything you sell, like all your services and all your products are underpriced. (laughs) And so I'm raising my prices, but I'm also simultaneously really feeling right now, like this large scale kind of economic grimness, like people are not buying stuff you know, Mm. whether that's like tickets to workshops, products, like a little bit, but things feel really slowed down. Like I can just feel the slowdown Mm. and I'm in touch with a lot of other small businesses. It feels like there is this kind of like slowing. So I'm like feeling a lot of tension. Like how can I raise my prices when people like don't even want to pay like what I'm already charging right now, Mm. but you know, and kind of grappling with that work. So that's just a really concrete like tension point in my finances. Yeah, I feel like running a business in general, like that's such a constant sort of question that you're in relationship to is, you know, how how do I price my things? What is under or overcharging? How do I make things accessible for people? Um, all of those things. But well, they're yeah. all hypothetical, really. Like the idea of like under or overcharging, right. like it's like 
What does that even mean? What does it even mean? <laughs> yeah, it's it's all made up. They're all made up things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's funny because um, just sort of going back to that quote and your response to that and just sort of saying, you know, like, it's so interesting. I agree that I think the like sort of messages that are coming through and sort of different lenses, like they're, you know, they're coming through different people. So they, they sound different maybe, but like generally there's these interesting, I think, threads that are happening simultaneously with so many people right now. And that's that's the feeling like I I bought your book, um, I think, before I even asked you to be on the show and uh, was reading through it and was like, what? this is like everything I feel like I'm going through right now. You know, like one of those like sort of, yeah, it was sort of like magic yeah. where you were like, yeah. I don't know how this showed up in my life at the like exact right time or if I would have been yeah. ready for it, you know, two or five years ago or whatever. But it feels like... Um, I was going to share, like, I feel like my personal sort of status right now, like why it's intersecting so much with what you do in the world and and the book that you just released, Magic Money, um, is like, I've just realized that I think my relationship to not just money, but like existing in the world is one in which like has been built on scarcity and it's just, I feel like we talk about that all the time. So it feels like really cliche, but like, I mean it very viscerally. Like, I feel like in my body, I can feel the ways that I show up to relationship and I show up to work, especially, I think, in ways that are tied to a feeling that I'm not safe, a feeling that like I need to, like, there's a line, where was it? Let me track it down. Um, there's a line in your book that says we ongoingly compromise our values in order to survive. And I feel like so much of what I do, even on a daily basis, is like wake up and sort of work in a compulsory way that's just like, yeah, it's like compulsive because I'm terrified of not surviving. And it's not about, um, or at least I'm shifting it, I think, right now and doing this work around money that... Um, money and work. And as, as, as you mentioned in your book too, like everything else, like once you start pulling a thread on money, it pulls a thread on everything else and vice oh, versa. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like it's not, and, and that's why I think like, also I'm, I'm just like rambling at you, but I think so much is that of this for me has been about attachment wounding and, you know, nervous system work and the way that we show up in so much hypervigilance, uh, every day in our culture. And I'm sure many cultures right now, uh, that are about, yeah, just uh, trauma responses, I guess, more than like actually being self-attuned to what like brings me most joy, brings me most alive, is the gift I'm here to give, something that people desperately want because the other stuff that you talk about too is like actually that like we're here, like the fact that we're here in this space and time means that we have purpose. And so like um, you know, giving that purpose and being in alignment with that and disentangling what it means to stop ignoring, like to self-abandon my own integrity and my own joy in order to just keep doing work that heals me every day and doing it because I believe that money won't be available to me if I do stuff that I love. Like, it's and again, like I'm just I could ramble on a thread about that for probably the next hour because oh, yeah, it's so sure. like they're so interrelated, nervous system work, trauma, like you said, like the healing of that wound, um, I think is something that collectively we are seeing a massive amount of people like actually sort of come into engagement with. 
it's like yeah, oh. I'm, I think you know it's like again tapping into these moments in collective consciousness and um I would bet that right now like you know the adult population of you know I don't know I don't have my finger on the pulse of like what's happening in a lot of other places but in the United States I would say like in terms of the adult population I'm sure we're the most therapized generation like that mm-hmm. has existed you know mm-hmm. in the in the U.S. and um I think like the way that therapy in the last you know 10 years has been so uh centered on attachment theory adult attachment theory and so right. I feel like we're all like yes okay yes. really like tapping in so like the way that that permeates and kind of like, ten, you know, has tendrils in uh-huh. the way that we do everything. So I really love that that's kind of like, it's really like trending on our collective consciousness. Yeah. Um, and I loved what you said about scarcity kind of being, um, you know, a little cliche, but then like you can tap into this like deeper level visceral experience of it. Because mm-hmm. I was talking about that this weekend, I was teaching about abundance and I was like, you know, abundance, which abundance and scarcity are like in dynamic relationship, right? So abundance is this word that we use so much. It's easy on a superficial level. Like it's used very superficially a lot that it's easy to not stop and like drop into like what it really means or really feels like. And in that um, workshop, we ended up talking a lot about authenticity, which I think is like Uh also what you're saying, like scarcity is the, is sort of the lack of authenticity. Whereas like abundance is really like fully inhabiting your authenticity because really that's all you have to do. Right. Like, it's like, you have this one life, you just need to be yourself, live your life. and stay that's, alive. That's a miracle to most people though, right? Like I feel like in our culture, like the, I mean, the the things that we've learned, that's like, that's why I think like this is revolutionary work, right? Is because it's like that you say that and it's, it's, it is like deeply true. So it's very resonant, but at the same time, like in reality, like in our actual lived practice, it's still fucking crazy. You know, that like showing up in your authenticity is actually all we have to do. Yeah. So it's just like, okay, reminder, (laughs) right? Like literally all I have to do is be me and stay alive, you know, today, like, and every day, right. And figure out more and more what it means to be me and figure out more and more like how I can stay alive with like less struggle. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, but that's it. Right. That's literally it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Which is, um, yeah, I think why I say it's like I'm still I'm struggling so hard to not just in this conversation, but I think in life in general, find ways to articulate what it is I'm experiencing because it is so somatic. Like I have um, a lot of the writing and stuff on the podcast I've done before is like really sort of tapping into the connections between um, actually the conversation. Uh, I did an interview with Charles Eisenstein, who I read that quote from um, about the intersections of purpose and illness. And I have like, I have just been going through a moment, like in the last year, I feel like of realizing that so much of my chronic illness is tied to forcing myself to continue doing things that actually aren't in my authenticity, just because I think that's how I need to survive. And this, like what incredible revolutionary foundational inner and then hopefully outer work it is to realize that you being you is actually 
the most, not only the most authentic way to survive, but actually that like money will often flow to you if you actually sit in that space in a way that's like, yeah, often, I mean, often, not all know? the time, right? Uh, yeah, but I'm not but saying often, like, but, you, but the thing that it's is even a possibility try. is wild. Just try. Right. You know what I mean? Like, try it out. I really like a piece of generational healing that I'm doing is like permission to be foolish. Mm. Because, you know, for my mother, who's like my the greatest influence on my life, and then like her mother, it's very like the worst thing you could do is like be foolish, appear foolish, you know, make a move that is like not um sort of conservative and thoughtful and then you know you're suffering the consequences of ruin or right. whatever it is right, right? Yeah. and so i started in terms of romantic relationship right being uh-huh. like um really holding that the tarot archetype of the fool right which mm-hmm. like starts the entire like tarot is the a entire, journey so yeah, the it starts that entire journey Yep. And is just like, you know, full energy is sort of like, well, fuck it. Sometimes you have to start something and just see what happens. Right. And it's okay if what happens is it doesn't work out or it doesn't work okay. out how you thought it would or you experience some suffering or, you know, something happens. It's just like, that's okay. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, in that journey, like I have a boyfriend who is like, it's a relatively new relationship. We've been together a little over a year and we were talking about, you know, we've been talking about different projects that are sort of like financial projects. We're both, you know, around 40 and haven't ever like bought a house or, you know, bought a uh-huh. whatever. And we we're just talking about all these different ideas of things we could do. And it's like, okay, yeah, like maybe it won't work out. But I was, I was just sort of saying to him, like, honestly, like, at least we would have tried to do something. Right. right. Like, we could go our whole lives just being like, well, I don't know. I'm scared that if I do that, like, it won't work out. Like, this mm-hmm. is your life. Right. It's going to what... be over, like, sometime soon. It's like our <laughs> yeah. lives aren't that long. Like, you yeah. get, like, max 100 years. It's not even that long. Yeah. I feel like like the cultural message we get, though, is that um, like that it is safe to just stay sort of in the place where like, you know, you can get this amount of money and and do this work to get that money. And even if you hate that job, like, you know, just keep doing that because that's the safe thing to do. And it's like, well, staying in that job is also a risk in certain ways. Like it's a risk to not do things that you are interested in or curious about pursuing. It's Uh, like everything is you might lose that job tomorrow like you like there is no actual like everything has risk baked in so you might as well because we're all gonna die (laughs) soonish yes like you might as well try the thing and and generationally it's a very like emperor's new clothes moment I feel like because you know everybody I'm kind of I'm like born on that gen x millennial yeah same I'm like, you know, the el- the eldest millennial. Yes. And it's like, you know, when I was being raised, going to elementary school in the 80s, like it still was very trickle down from, you know, baby boomer generation, which is just like, like you're saying, there's a formula to success. 
don't be stupid. All you have to do is follow the formula, mm-hmm. right? But then mm-hmm. so many people have followed that formula and, and are work. just like, what the fuck? Like, I'm actually not. And honestly, what did it, what did that in, I think, is student loans, mm. right? Because then it's like, people are like, I followed the formula. Now I have, you know, 80, 120, like whatever, $1,000 in debt. I can't buy a house. I'm not even making money. I have no retirement benefits or, you know, whatever. Like the formula was a moment in time. Right. And so, but we're still dealing with all the trickle down pressure, shame, like, you know, all that stuff of just being like, Uh follow the formula. And, and if you don't, it's like, if you suffer, that's your own fault, stupid. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And and I think too, like so much of our self-care sort of messages that we've we've gotten have been so focused on like the individual responsibility that it's like if you can't feel abundant, if you can't like if you don't if you follow that formula and it's not successful for you, like whatever it is, I feel like that has actually trickled, that message has actually trickled into self-care, even that it's like. Yes, it's true that part of this is an individual act of self-reflection, of inner work, of therapy, of, you know, like doing all of like the the inner reflection, but it's also equally true that the systems exist that make it more difficult or more easy depending on where you sort of sit in that system, I guess. Yeah, um, well, if the self-care is supposed to support you in just being able to participate in that formula or it's like to help you figure right. out why you can't. Right. How, how can right? I self-care enough so that I can survive within the formula? <laughs> sort of yeah, which, you know, is. some yeah. of that is like harm reduction and it's, you know, survival work and it's right. okay. But it's really about what I think of as like a more mature relationship with money because compliance is a very like young child you Uh know feeling right like okay we're gonna comply with what was being said and I think we're kind of seeing like it's like that the kind of like baby boomer generation is a sort of compliant like there's this compliant generation I think we're kind of seeing the way that that's like unfolding politically you know there's sort of like this naivete um, of compliance yeah and But then it's like what happens, there's also that kind of like adolescent or teenage like rebellion, right? Right. Where it's, and that's where a lot of us, I feel like are like, oh, that didn't want to follow the formula. We were like, well, then I guess we have to be like, forget it, success. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even care about success. I don't care about stability. I don't care about any of this stuff. I don't care about jobs. Yeah, I don't care about jobs. I don't care about whatever, exactly. (laughs) And so- But now, you know, we're like 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line, 30 years down the line. And we're like, oh, well, when the dust settles on that, like actually, you know, stability and success and recognition and purpose and agency that comes with like having enough 
and, you know, wanting to contribute to the community and be able to be like a stable member of the community. Like those are things I want. And, you know, but I don't even know how to get them because I've equated those things so much with this, with compliance and like cultural compliance, familial compliance that it's like, I don't really know how to stand in my own agency and sovereignty, which is maturity, right? Like being Mm -hmm. able to have your own unique developed relationship to these concepts and be able to like implement them. Mm -hmm. And, and we're like, Oh fuck, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. I guess we have to figure this out. And to me, that's the like heal your finances work. Yeah, totally. And I I think that's such a, a great sort of example in terms of like, I feel like that sort of evolutionary model I see happening in so many ways right now that it's the yeah, there was sort of a compliance rebellion, you know, sort of integration. I had a friend the other day who uh, stated to me as like a trajectory that's sort of like thesis, like when you're younger, you're sort of developing all of your theses of like existence and you're sort of complying to what your parents teach you or what society teaches you. And then um, antithesis, which is the rebellion. So you rebel against Mm -hmm. what you were taught and then synthesis. So Mm -hmm. thesis, antithesis synthesis so like you learn to actually like integrate what you your earlier stuff that you had to rebel against and your nor like you were saying your new sort of unique take on it that you sort of learned in your rebellion Mm -hmm. and I think I find that to be true in so many ways about the way that we're doing relationships about about the way that we're doing money about the way like even religion is a good, good example in my world that you know like I grew up in the south so religion was a big part of that learning for me in terms of being like in sort of cultural Christianity and then later like actual practicing Christianity and then going like, whoa, this like, this really actually doesn't work for me. It's not like, it just doesn't feel like it encapsulates everything that like my experience tells me is true about the world. And now like as a, you know, an older adult getting to a place where I go like, wait a second, there were some things about spirituality and money and that like, that I'm not actually finding real, I talked about this in my last interview episode, um, that like, there's this piece of it where it's like, I think some of the things that we, like at least as folks who have practiced religion or grown up around a religion that like in rebellion, like have found other modalities like tarot or astrology or these other things that feel accessible to us and feel like they there's something that we can actually engage with that helps us tap into spirituality in some way, but also still has, I think this in a lot of ways, underlying element of rebellion. That's like, um, not actually firmly grounded. And I, I often, I guess, like I talk about this, especially for me, I guess, like in my experience as a white person that I don't have a ton of actual like ancestral, ancestral, like grounding in terms of spirituality. Um, so like generational practices of that, Um, and being tied to deep spiritual practices. And so I think now I find myself in that same trajectory of coming to a place of what I guess would be called like the synthesis where I go like, what are the things that I feel like I actually want to bring from the things of my past, like religion or um, like you're saying, like, I guess like stability, ritual, ceremony, um, but that like weren't practiced in a way that felt good to us when we reached the rebellion phase. But now we're like actually seeking some sort of like, oh, commitment and stability and financial, you know, like success and all those things like don't have to mean that I give up my soul in order to access it, I guess. Well, and it's the next step of maturity in that it requires 
stepping into a greater sense of responsibility. Yeah. Which is like, oh, it's my responsibility Mm -hmm. to bring this to my life. Mm -hmm. It's my responsibility to figure out what are my traditions because the the web is moving. Do you know what I mean? It's like you Mm -hmm. have, I feel like things happen sometimes in family lineages where it's like, you know, either you have kids or um, like a parent gets sick or passes where you're just like, oh, like I am the holder uh-huh. of a lineage in right. a different, I'm not the receiver a of way. a lineage right. anymore. I'm the holder of a lineage. Yeah. And that requires, um, yeah, a responsibility. It's a certain type of stability. And it's like, I have to make this for my own. And I could either, you know, people do go back and comply, right? Like they're like, I'm going to, you know, go back to like how I was raised or, you know, I'm going to stay firmly entrenched in this kind of like rebellion or I'm going to like find this synthesis point. So Mm -hmm. I think it's just, you know, taking that ownership of understanding like, no, this is mine. These are my finances. These are my traditions. This is my life. And I have to either do it inauthentically, you know, because we have to do it. Right. So I'm either going to do it inauthentically or I have to figure out like how exactly, you know, it looks like to put the practice in the praxis in on like what my unique spin on it is going to be. Yeah. I think responsibility is such a great word too, because not only is that like such a, it's a thing that you feel in maturity is a sense of responsibility but also why I think it's such a great um, sort of connection to make to not just attachment work, but um, like nervous system work, because responsibility, I think, does cause all of these like attachment issues to sort of come up for us that go like, oh, commitment and responsibility and having to take like real accountability towards something requires a lot of inner work um, to actually feel like our nervous systems aren't completely triggered by engaging with that um that sort of work in the world I guess I'm thinking too in addition it's like though like there's a way in which responsibility can be grounding you know, yeah, yeah yeah absolutely yeah but I, I think though that like when not to just like over pathologize it like I I find a lot of usefulness I think in the attachment model and talking about like because even yeah. as a practical example the other day like I was um sort of talking with a friend about money and um, she was like, well, I think she was sort of making some assumptions about where I sat with money. And I was like, well, I actually like, I feel pretty good about, you know, like I'm a person who's always budgeted. Like uh, it's not been too scary to me. um, And I don't know where I got that from because I'm not sure like that was passed down to me in any sort of like lineage. Um, It might've just been scarcity for myself, but like I've been pretty engaged with like finances for a lot of my life, even though like I'm just not a person who likes to do work that makes a lot of money in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Generally, that's been sort of my pattern. Um, but like I tend to manage it relatively well, I feel like, um, the little that I ha- I've had in my past. But like when I started reading your book, like um, or maybe actually I think I saw you post a po- another podcast episode that you were on and you said something about like, yeah, like how do you engage with your money? Like do you talk to it every day? Do you like, do you actually check in on it? Like you would like a real relationship. And I was like, wow, I, I sort of love that, that suggestion and started this practice of like 
in the mornings when I was sort of through my morning routine would check in on my account and be like, I'm aware of how much is there every day. Yeah. I I say like gratitude toward it, like no matter how much or how little is in there. And um, yeah, I think it was an interesting, yeah, that to me, it was just, again, like, I guess like an attachment and sort of nervous system model that I think, yes, like I think when you reach a place where you realize that like, I think maybe you've dialed down your nervous system and your hypervigilance enough that like you can't actually realize the the truth of the fact that like stability and groundedness and ritual and responsibility are actually incredibly gratifying places to be um, and not well, just and terrifying. Intimacy, right? We're talking right. about financial intimacy and it, you know, going back into that attachment model, we're used to doing that in our relationship relationships with people or at mm -hmm. least playing the you know playing with the idea of doing it in relationships with people but you know everything that we engage with is a relationship right, right. so it's like yes from an unaware or unexamined perspective you know the relationship is the site of trauma or it's the site of you know um, pain and mistreatment. And so therefore we push relationship away, right? Mm -hmm, avoid mm -hmm. relationship, avoid intimacy. And that can get us, you know, to a certain place. And some people live their whole life in that place, you know, yeah, literally, yeah. um, you know, I was at a therapy session yesterday talking about, um, coming to, Graps, grips with the like my you know almost 80 year old father like to be like oh accountability in relationship is just not a value for him and I don't think that's going to change mm. you know he's made mm -hmm. it this far <laughs> yeah like, probably not going to shift yeah so it's like you can go your whole life like avoiding intimacy in certain ways right because of yeah. the way that that was a source of trauma but you know, in this joy of being like this heavily therapized generation, we're like, oh, okay. So the medicine for this, the antidote for this is not then to avoid intimacy. Mm -hmm. It is to explore and experiment with and, you know, exercise and be in a practice of learning to sit with relating and experience it differently, not as a site of mm -hmm. pain, suffering, trauma, and to learn that like, you know, yes, there is some pain, suffering, and trauma that is inevitable with relating, mm -hmm. but not every, you know, every time you experience like a bad feeling, you don't have to, you know, Push run away. away and completely reject it. Right. And so that's right. like, you know, this attachment stuff in our nervous system building our tolerance mm -hmm. for sitting with the discomfort that yeah. is like a part of normal relating yeah but and it's the same with money right like being like yes this is a relationship and we can either be like money is painful and avoid it but it doesn't go away like you cannot right. you know you can like get out of relating, you know, romantically or in a partnership way with humans, if you wanted to, I guess, but it's like, you can't really get outside your relationship with money. So it's like, okay, what does it look like to 
just be like, actually the work is to sit with it more closely and learn to increase my tolerance level for this intimacy so that we can move together more intimately, you Mm -hmm. know, in a more like agile kind of way. And then we can co-create together. You know, what can we co-create with other people, with money, with parts of ourselves that are integrated, you know, with community members when we're able to tolerate relating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love, I mean, yeah, part of what you just said there, like in, in your book, you talk about like, even if you ignore a thing, like if you're avoidant of a thing, it is still sort of energetically like running in the background. It's not like you've like actually just like push it out of your life. It's there. It's just like this energetic drain. And I think to the sort of the beginning of the conversation, you're talking about like, um, you know, like part of your work is like helping people to just like sort of disentangle from drama around money, you know? And I think even for me, like as I've sort of like worked on my intimacy issues around relationships and around money of, you know, relationships of all kinds, including money that like I had a tendency to sort of then like overdo it. Like right now, a good example is like in my chronic illness, like I've had a little bit more access to money recently in selling my house. And I was like, well, I'm going to use that money toward like doing some real like healing work. Um, so I've been doing a lot of body work and I, I did this thing where I like, I went in super hard on it. Like I just started doing all the body work because I had the access to be able to do it finally. And I realized it triggered my nervous system in the same way Oh, wow. That like trauma work actually did because it was like pushing too much healing through at the same time. And like part of what you talk about, too, is that like because it's like an intimacy issue, like you can't also overdo it. Like your nervous system has to like sort of be adapted to it. And so as much as like I love I mean, also just you talk like using the fool and the tarot as an example of a good place to be because that's like I can explore. I can be curious. I can, you know, um take some risk here and there as it's available to me. Like I don't have to quit my job, you know, give the middle finger to everything that's like secure to go like do what I love in the world and be the most authentic I've ever been. And just forget all ties to like the children I have to raise or the money I have to worry about and paying my bills. Performative authenticity, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like super selfish authenticity. (laughs) Right. It's like, which is not authentic because actually part of who you are in the world is as part of an interconnected unit, whatever that looks like in your life. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, um, I'm going to, do you mind if I read something from your book at you? Yeah. I love that. I I love this part. It's a little bit long. Um, but I love this, um, it's a section called this earth journey, which is your primary spiritual purpose at this moment in time is to be exactly perfectly human. The news that we're made of stardust and lived a past life in Atlantis, I was right there with you, is thrilling. But babe, right now you are human on Earth in the 21st century. The point is not to glaze over this assignment and get back to being cosmic ASAP. For 14 billion years, the particles that made up your body existed in this universe, but not as you. They prayed to become you. Your ancestors prayed you into existence. Your soul was led to your exact body by angels who nurtured you into existence. So much miraculous labor went into making your human incarnation possible. You are a miracle. Your presence and the human story at this particular point in time and space or space time is not an accident. You are filled with purpose. Your human life is inextricably bound up with your spiritual purpose. 
This is to say, the seemingly mundane and often tedious tasks of figuring out how to be human are not mundane at all. Being and becoming better at human life is all you have to do in this lifetime. Like, it's basically like just you talking about like, there's a material reality. Like, we live in a certain space. We live in a certain time. Like, I was born in 1981 in this particular body to Me my too. particular family. I love 81 babies. Yay. <laughs> I was wondering, because you said the, like, eldest oh, millennial. Yeah, no, I was I'm like, I'm with you. Movie. It's yes. the best year. <laughs> it's such a good year. Like, we were still playing the Oregon Trail and elementary school mm-hmm. and shit, you know. <laughs> yeah, we could get nostalgic. But, um, yeah, it's like I'm, I was born into this particular time, and I have to live in this particular reality. And we were born into capitalism, like, you know, um, yeah. at least where we live in this space-time country, you know. Um, and... So those are material realities that we have to deal with. And as much as like, especially people who were like, like your book is money magic, you know, like it's not just material. It is also spiritual, but like we can't just be caught in the spiritual and forget the material reality. And I don't, I think they're the same. Like that's right, the they point are the to same. me, like yeah. spiritual is like your spirit, you know, like your spirit as part of a spirit world. And there is a meeting in this moment that's like your soul, you know, like your soul, your body, this moment in time space, like those three things are coming to a culmination, right. like in your life. Right? right. So it's like actualizing that being in it. And like we were saying at the beginning, that's actually the only thing you have to do. Right. It's just fully inhabit the conjoining of those three things. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a whole history too, though, of, I mean, I think enlightenment and all kinds of things that were like trying to disentangle material reality in the spiritual world, right? Like there's a reason that I think we have such a hard time understanding that the sacred and spiritual and money and material and all those things are actually one and the same. Well, that's like, colonialism. Yeah, it's, yes, you know, absolutely. That's the, that's the disconnect and, you know, and it's not, um, that has not been true for all cultures or all people, right? That there's right. a disconnect between those things. And, you know, that's like, there's, again, in this moment of collective consciousness, so many people are such a like, kind of like popular um, uprising of, of decolonial work. And also, you know, as a white person, I'll call it like unsettling, you know, the work mm-hmm. of unsettling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, this is a baseline idea of indigenous cultures everywhere, which is that, you know, which is like land based, you know, Mm -hmm. like that's what indigenous is, is like a land based culture, which means understanding like the connections and that things are not commodities. Like they have spirit. Everything has a spirit. Mm -hmm. and that and the same like you know there's so much fighting right now like people are not commodities you know and Mm -hmm. we're like okay how have I treated other people like commodities how have my ancestors treated other people as commodities and then looking into like how does that come from an experience of like treating myself like a commodity Mm -hmm. and that's that compliance you know it's like we're complying but we're also complying to messaging and systems and cultural expectations that are based in 
like these colonial ideas that are deeply untrue and just inherently violent because there's a ripping separation, right? Mm -hmm. There's a separation that pulls apart like spiritual and material. Right. And that separation is like not, not true. There's a book that I love um, called um, Money is Love, The Sacred Mm. Origins of Money, which Mm. um, I'm uh, curious about that book, Sacred Economics. And, you know, if there's Mm -hmm. some links there and yeah. It's a very thin, small book. The author's name is Barbara Wilder. And in it, she kind of, it. so she's like reconnecting to the sacred origins of money. And it's through a sort of um, European, like she talks a lot about like the Celtic gold route. And, um, but she kind of traces things back to like, like, can you imagine a moment where money was so intertwined, like kind of like money and the way that that's connected to gold and the way that it's connected to like the sun, Mm. you know, or like um, recognizing, you know, creative energy and, and recognizing other people as inherently sacred. And so like recognizing their work as inherently sacred and therefore Mm -hmm. like having to treat them like that. But like, reconnecting to a moment in time and a way of being where these are not just like intellectual exercises and things that we need to remember and kind of like Mm -hmm. course correct and remember but like she's like there was a time where these things were unfathomable right like it would be Mm -hmm. unfathomable to exploit because to exploit would be to like go against god you know Mm -hmm. or creator or the gods or spirit right like Mm -hmm. the spirit world like and and to do so would be like so unfathomable right that you just wouldn't fathom it right like it just would be impossible so it's like we've we have um we have and especially you know for me and i think for you like people of um european settler um heritage like we have been led and we have led people like so astray from that belief. Like we've been like, come with us, you know, like over here, (laughs) like so far away from that way of being. Um, So like unlearning that is just like, the simplest way to think about it is what you were saying earlier, which is like a lot of times when we return to ourselves like a lot of times that is when the money flows mm-hmm. right or like seeing these kind of like spirit affirmations of of being like more in alignment with right path which is mm-hmm. like spirit path mm-hmm. which is material path like that they're not separate they're not right it's not this or that right and that's yeah I'm Oof, yeah, I have so many things to say. I'm like, where do I start with that? I was going to say, first of all, like the the sort of part, the part of the quote that I stopped right before that I read to you from Charles's uh, book was, um, you know, like the sort of ending with that last sentence, yet the last 10 millennia were not in vain. Sometimes it's necessary to live a lie to its fullest before we are ready to take the next step into truth. And then he says, the lie of separation in the age of usury is now complete. We have explored its fullness, its furthest extremes, and seen all it has wrought, the deserts and the prisons, the concentration camps and the wars, the wastage of the good, the true, and the beautiful. 
now the capacities we have developed through this long journey of ascent will serve us well in the imminent age of reunion, which is really, yeah, just talking about sort of a yeah, similar concept to what you were talking about. Oh, what was the name of that book? Um, oh, Money Mon is Love. Money is Love. That, um, And I sort of, I would love to hear you actually sort of, I, I sort of know, or at least from an assumption in my own work in the world, know what you mean by this being a project of colonialism. But like, to me, I would say that like a large project of colonialism is that idea of separation, that we are separate beings that were separate from each other and that like separation was basically necessary in order to sell people in the world to do labor. It was necessary to exploit land. It was necessary to exploit people um, and that we are still living in that in large part that like we are waking up, like you said, to a realization that we have been exploited and that we have learned a way of being um yeah, I guess like like I said earlier, like you talk about is like it's an it's sort of an act of self-abandonment, like which is a kind of separation. It's a separation from yourself to live outside of your own integrity. And part of being in your integrity is to be in alignment with your purpose, to be in alignment with money, to be in alignment in relation in, in like I think in my my work also that like an indigenous culture would call it right relationship. That like to be in right relationship is to be in alignment with like the flow and, um, and mm -hmm. like, well, what's an easy way to put that? Like just, I guess something that like causes aliveness for everyone involved, like not just aliveness for my own sake and making as much money as possible, but like also what brings aliveness to other people, but how am I going to yeah, bring and this just, around? Like what brings alive, like what is in alignment with aliveness? Right. Do you know what I mean? Because I think yeah. sometimes we can get like another piece of like colonial mentality is that sort of like savior instinct too, right? Like totally. how can I do this for me and other people? And it's like, yeah. you don't have to do shit for other people. I mean, you know, like, yes, but it's yes. like, you have to align with aliveness, align with like right, right relationship, align with like, you know, collective, like spiritual truth. And right. then your actions will like contribute to, you know, strengthening yes. that that river, right. right? Yeah. That it's like a, it's not so much like, how can I fix myself in order to help other people um, that I'm bad? And I also, when I become good, will then like be able to save other people. It's that, like you said, that being alignment is like literally just like, all you got to do is be an authentic authenticity with yourself. Like you being you, the most you will naturally be something that is incredibly giving to other people that will heal not just you but other people. Well, and like along we're saying you. that that authentic you is not like, oh, I'm gonna just do me and move to right. Bali, fuck everybody and else, be a solopreneur, whatever. Do you know what right. I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's like, yeah, it's not fuck everybody else because like I'm doing me. You know, it's like being authentically you, inhabiting your self authentically is also recognizing the sphere of like interrelatedness around you and right. that like as yourself you you know have that interrelation too and um I wanted to say the thing about like recognizing you know in that unsettling you know instincts or the unsettling like practice of unsettling mm -hmm. as people of European like settler colonial heritage it's not just even about seeing like, oh, we've exploited people, but like we've also been exploited. Like, yes, we are being exploited systemically, but I think it's also about stepping into a place of responsibility and being like, 
you know, it's not just something that's happened to me. Right. It's like, I am doing it. How am yeah, I, I self-exploiting? Yeah. How is my tendency to exploit and my mindset to exploit so um, strong, you know, mm-hmm. that I practice it in all relationship, mm-hmm. including the way I relate to myself. And yep. so how can I like un- learn that and, you know, kind of like try to, you know, pull some of those tendrils back in the way, Mm -hmm. not only that I'm like, just in the way that I'm relating to period dot, right? Like to other people, to myself, to work, to my body, to my money, et cetera. And, and also in that too, you know, I'm like thinking, you know, we're talking, I wrote this book. Money, you know, I'm a white person. You're a white person. Money is love. Also written by a white woman. I don't know about the guy who wrote. <laughs> yeah, Charles also. Economics. Also a white know, person, right? White, so yes. it's like, we also like don't necessarily need to be like, oh, and now we came up with this new idea, you know, called like. Yeah, we're going to Columbus it. <laughs> yeah, like we're called reconnecting um, with sacred origins of life, right? Um, right. I mean, it's like let's yeah like let's talk about it you know and I'm glad we are and we're writing about it but it's like really a lot of that work is to just be like actually there's people who have not like gone so far from these ideas and our job is like to listen and in that listening to you know, and follow leadership, like indigenous leadership. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and in that, our work is sitting with like teachers of these ideas of learning how to not exploit, including ourselves, mm-hmm. including the people around us. And that, yeah, like that is just like that reunification and it's not a reunification. It's not like we pulled it apart and now we are putting it back together. It's just, it's like, again, that kind of like emperor's new clothes thing where it's just like, oh, it's like, no, actually seeing what's always been there, that these things are not separate. Right. You know, the spirit and the material are not separate. Yeah. And I love, yeah, this sort of what you're talking about around self-exploitation, I guess, like is a really good way actually to put like I think what I've been experiencing in my just like daily lived reality and like what I'm untangling like those tendrils around is, yeah, the sort of recognizing my compulsory tendency to relate to my work, to relate to money in ways that are self-exploitative that like when I struggle with chronic illness and I wake up and I still mm, like force and like without a lot of like real self-awareness just like compulsory like I just engage in work in a way that's like draining me that's not actually taking real rest that's like just exhausting me further like it's a way that I engage in self-exploitation and going like I actually don't think this is necessary and I have to ask myself a question around like, you know, and it it is of course like interconnected with all those things about being white and what I've learned about what that means in the world and yeah, how that shows up in culture and individual. But for me, like as an individual has like actually 
I guess what I, the way I've been sort of stating it recently is that like, I just don't know how to explain it better other than like, it feels like control is a sickness that like actually lives in my body. Like that, that sort of forcing and control and survival, like thinking I have to self-exploit in order to survive and thinking that I'm separate from nature and that nature would naturally like take care of me if I was just being who I was supposed to be in the world and that my participation is like automatic if I'm just being an authenticity with myself and showing up in my full engagement and self and whatever. And like you said, sort of getting beyond the wound or tending to the wound at least, and then showing up in a way that's not quite as triggered. Like all of that work for me is like actually, like I think it's important too, like, I mean, in Chinese medicine, so not just indigenous culture of that kind, but like, and land, but like also thinking about Chinese medicine and like stagnation versus flow that like me being in actual flow instead of, um, or I don't know, I guess the better way to say is like, I feel like energy trapped in my body, like the stagnation of energy in my body of like forcing myself to do certain things for so much of my life or keeping myself from doing certain things that I would actually want to do because I'm too scared to not make enough money or I'm too scared that like, I just won't survive in any way, shape or form is actually trapping energy in me and mm -hmm. is actually, I feel like genuinely making me sick. So Yeah, and you know, it's like, not to, I always say when I'm getting into conversations like this, I'm just sort of like anyone's feeling about like why or how they're sick. Like there doesn't have to be a like why to why people yeah. are sick either. You know, it's not yeah. like self-imposed thing. Sure. And like, you know, and you're having your experience and I do feel like, you know, indigenous cultures all over the world, like do have these beliefs that in energies have impact on your body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know when you just say it like that it's like that seems true yeah you know what right. I mean like I did that science fair project like the one where you're like I will grow seeds and I'll play them like five different kinds of music and we'll like see what happens you know but it's like energy like music is energy it's vibrations right like the the energy that the things around us are giving that the words we hear the mm -hmm. you know the philosophies the pieces like the the attitudes of relationship that are like you know being directed towards us or we're being like engaged in like all of those are are vibrational you know they're energetic and we experience them and we internalize them and it's like they do impact the way that our physical form grows mm -hmm. like that mm -hmm. you know there's the si the science of that is out there I did it yeah. in fifth grade so yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Back in the 80s as a Gen X kid or yeah. somewhere on the cusp. <laughs> We're cusp babies, I guess. Um, well, okay. I uh, I could probably talk to you forever about this stuff, but I, I wonder <laughs> if um, like how maybe just like a closing question before I ask you just to share like what you want to promote in the world just so people know how to engage with you is like how is money showing up as magic in your world right now? Like what what feels magic to you about money? I have a very active, like, I'm a very active spare change um, practice. Like, I mm -hmm. really look for, like, coins on the ground, and I mm. I find them, and I, like, engage with them. So that always feels really magic to me. Um, I am, like, you know, as I alluded to earlier, like, I am, you know, in a new partnership and really in a place in my life where it's sort of, like, building 
things in a material realm is of interest to me. And Mm. so we are like exploring, you know, these different possibilities of building. And I think like money feels magic in that way of like, okay, well, what if we did these things and just imagining how the money can like come in to support, you know, Uh Uh um, holding it lightly, but also like having trust. Mm -hmm. Um, just seeing money move around, I Mm. think right now is like feeling really magic to me, seeing money move, seeing money, like shapeshift, seeing money, you know, build a foundation, the Mm. way that it can like come in. Yeah. Just sort of watching it move and shapeshift. Yeah. Which I feel like really gets into, I mean, you're your business name, your sort of handle, like being a money witch, like that there's a way that you engage with money in the world that is a type of, um, yeah, sort of engaging with your own inner witch and like how you use money to like shape shift and move energy and all of those things. Yeah. And I'm a shape, like I am in devotional relationship with Hermes Mercury. His um, feast day is coming up. It'll probably have happened by the time that this uh, episode's launch is May 15th. And, you know, it's just like that, that shape-shifting, like, you know, pushing, pulling, like what, uh-huh. you know, what can it become? What can it do? And it's not always pretty, you know, but, yeah, um, but it's always in, in movement, in motion. So I, yeah, yeah I, that's the, the money energy that I feel like I'm sort of like tending. Um, one of my roles is, they say like a priestess of the egregore of money, which means mm-hmm. like I am facilitating relationship between the collect our collective like concept of money and individuals mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the collective, right? To, mm-hmm. to facilitate that relationship. And mm-hmm. the money energy that I am attending is like very in motion, very shape-shifty, like money energy. That is definitely the way I'm relating to money in this world. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> you mentioning Mercury, I was like, I meant to start the episode with just like a joke when you got online, just to be like, it feels real brave to like record a podcast the day after Mercury retrograde starts. Oh yeah, <laughs> well it's Wednesday, so it's Mercury's day. Yeah. Um, and We're actually, well, I have a little like altar Mercury altar, so I was mm. heading um, to it before, but I was recording a video this morning and he just like cut it off in the middle. And it was like, he's like, why are you doing this video instead of making me coffee? I was like, okay, okay, Okay. whatever you want Tend to you, we'll tend to you. Yeah. Well, um, before I let you go, what, is there anything, uh, obviously like I would love to make sure that you talk about your book, um, and how people can get a hold of that book and anything else that you have coming up that you would love to tell the people about. Yeah. This is my pretty little book, Money Magic, Practical Wisdom and Empowering Rituals to Heal Your Finances. It being pretty is very important to me. Um, and I got a review this week that sort of like reminds me because we're talking so much about like you know trauma and attachment work and um the review was like it was like very praising but also like slightly insulting because they were like (laughs) they were like this book that's like oh rituals for your money and I was like it's sort of infantilizing yeah rituals for your money but they're like it's a trauma-informed book and I don't think it's being promoted in that way yeah Um, but I was like you know that's kind of my vibe it's like I want to like be like a very delicious, beautiful, sparkly, like Ross candle that you took home. Wait, and what then is, you were I like, oh shit, your this sun is sinus. Like, 
real magic. This is real magic. What's your like? What are your like sun and rising signs? Oh, I am an Aries sun with an Aquarius moon and a Scorpio rising. Fascinating. I only know a little bit about that. And um, we're, I'm a Libra, so we're cardinal opposites Mm -hmm. on the zodiac. In dynamic Um, relationship. In dynamic relationship. Yeah. What's Um, your moon and rising? Do you know? uh, My rising is also Libra Uh and my moon is Cancer, which I like to call feeling squared. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's that's like very soft, it's a soft, soft but cardinal, you yeah. know, energy. Yeah. Um, so good as a double Libra, I'm glad. You yeah, it was like beauty, aesthetics, gorgeous aesthetics. Yes, the aesthetics are important, but also you know trauma informed. So there's yes. glitter and also trauma informed care in this. Yeah, book. well, rightfully so. It is both beautiful but also practical. It's spiritual but material. It's money. It's magic. They're all yeah, the same. It's, it's all the yeah. things. So, it's all the things. Um, so the book you can get it. Uh, my website is moneywitch.com. Um, there's a books tab on there where you can get connected to, you know, all the ebook, the audio books, you can get it all over. I think the only big retailer that has it in person is um, Books A Million if you're in the South, um, which is funny because it's such a like Jesus bookstore, but I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Get in there. There it is. Um, I also am having a 10 month um, book club where we're working through uh, the book chapter by chapter. And our second, there's two meetings in June. Um, but every meeting you can come to just even as like a one-off. So if you want to like meet up and, um, talk about a chapter of the book, those are uh, available. There's Eventbrite tickets to those. Um, and then I think, uh, in this moment, the other way that people could join me would be to join the second half of the year cohort of my group called club budget. Um, Mm -hmm which is a group practice for doing budgeting. If you're a person who kind of struggles with like um, staying present with a budgeting practice and wants yeah. like that sort of shame-free uh, practice of working mm-hmm. with like staying present with your budget practice for six months, then um, club budget, you are welcome to come on. Uh, we're just sort of wrapping up our first cohort of it. Mm-hmm. And it's been really special and cool and helpful and powerful and you know all of these things right like super spiritual and connected and also just very mundane and like yeah okay, let's get it done let's, let's do the thing do I the love thing. the book club too because I I mean of course because I knew I was going to interview you I you know I had bought it and I, th- I was thinking oh I I want to finish the book by the time I interview her and I was like oh this is like a workbook you don't just like read from the beginning to the end. This is like, I'm, I'm chunking my way through. So I feel like, yeah, I would love for people to engage with you in like a, that book club. Cause I feel like if they want to read the book, like the best way to do it. Yeah. It's like, like practically sort of implementing it in your life and doing the rituals and all those fun things that you sort of suggest along with everything. Yeah. Digestion. My therapist, my trauma informed therapist used the, uses the um, expression titration a lot, right? Mm. Like, it's like, yeah, the work it reminds me of your body work story from earlier. Mm. Like, you know, how much, what's the dosage that you can digest yeah, and get totally. the most out of, right? Yeah. So I like the idea of like really working through it chapter by chapter. It feels like the right amount of like sitting with this book for a year 
yeah. actively feels like the right amount of time for me. Yeah, that's why I, I find myself engaging with it in that way. That feels like sort of maybe once a week, like I sort of read through a chapter and I go like, ooh, like, okay, that's going to take some sort of like emotional work and practical things. Even last week, I like there was, um, I forget what part, but it was sort of like a suggestion of like, you know, what are things that you feel like you could sort of like, I don't know if it was like low hanging fruit, but it was like, what are things you could sort of like do right now that like you've sort of been letting linger. Mm -hmm. And I made a list of like, I mean, this is apropos of what I'm talking about. Like I had a list of like 10 things where I was like, let's do all the things. But I was like, that's, that shit takes time, you know, like you, you work through it. And yeah, so it's a, yeah, titration sounds right. Yeah, but the first part of the process is just making the list, right? Awareness. So it's and like, making okay, the well, there's and... the list. Now we yeah. can like start touching back, you know? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Thank well, you thank you for the work that you do the in the world. Thank you. Um, and yeah, I, oh, actually, I was going to ask you one last thing, which is like, do you have in recent memory a favorite meme of yours that you've shared? Oh my god! Because you, I mean, the the way that I, of course, like most people, I think, learned about your work. And my my cat Simon has now entered the chat. <laughs> like a second ago, he meowed, and now he's on the desk. So sorry to anyone who hears him in a second. But um, like the way that I found out about your work is like a lot of people, I think, which is your, is it Magic Money Monday? Yeah, meme money, dumps? Monday, um, money, magic memes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and all of my friends sharing those. So yeah. Do you have one in recent memory that you love? I feel like um, uh, one that I remember from last week, there's just so many, but yeah, of course. Last week there was one that was circulating in a few places, um, but it's like it was someone's tweet where she was like, oh, her card got declined. And then she's like, swipe it again. I wasn't in an abundance mindset. <laughs> yeah, you know? I, saw, I saw that recently. Yeah, I really like that one. And I think especially because I'm thinking so much about like abundance mindset this week. Um, and then one that I've seen a few times this upcoming that might I've seen it circulate already. So I, I sort of keep an eye on like how much are things circulating and if they've already circulated in a bunch of places, I like won't uh-huh. put it in. Yeah, but it's definitely in the running for the week coming up. And it's like, this great picture of Cher. She's kind of like, you know, two hands out, like the Libra, got, you know, goddess, like yeah, of yeah. weighing things with two hands, mod. And um, it's like on one hand, like sort of like being a human is just like suffering and like the world is falling apart. And on the other hand, it's like, ooh, I need that cute little TikTok. <laughs> <You know? laughs> just like. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't I know. Love that. Why not I- both, you know? Yeah, why not both? I shared one this morning that was the I don't know if it is it Britney Spears in the background, but it's um like someone in the background and it's just like text over the person that says like um girls be like I'm battling my demons and the demons just be like having a job. Oh yeah, <laughs> I had that one was in 2 weeks ago. Yeah, like girls are like I yeah, totally. I think it might be Lindsay Lohan. I don't know. It might even be someone yeah. who's not famous. Yeah, just yeah it's hard to like, tell I'm battling if it's someone demons, famous or not. And it's like the demon is just having a job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I love that. And I love, I love that as like part of your practice too, just cause like it is like taking like as much as, you know, even here, like we talked about money and engagement with trauma and nervous system work and all those things, like that there is a lightness and there is an ease and there can be fun. And, you know, like you can actually engage in it in a relationship that is like an intimacy. That's not yeah. scary. It's like, Oh, this is, this can be fun. Or what? Like, you gotta laugh. Make fun of it. Yeah. It's like, again, like that fool mentality, right? That it's like, you know, fuck it. Like, we're going to have a good time with this. And like, we're not always going to do it right, but we're going to give it a shot. And, you know, we're going to test things and we're going to play. And yeah, play. I think play is really important to me. 
Yeah. Well, thank you for modeling that for others. And (laughs) thanks for doing the conversation. Thank you for the invitation. (laughs) Okay. If you're going to need, like I was talking about, some extra joy in your life and some additional memes that are going to make you laugh about money every single week, you're going to need to go follow Jesse Susanna, first of all, right now on Instagram at money.witch. It's amazing. You're going to love it. It'll brighten your week every week, I promise. Otherwise, you can find her online at moneywitch.com. That link, show notes, her Instagram, and everything else from our conversation that we talked about can be found by going to this episode on my website at thisplusthat.com slash episodes. Thisplusthat.com is also where you can sign up for the This Plus That newsletter straight from me where you'll get more behind the scenes stuff, related content for every episode of the podcast and personal essays from me, which I've been on an extended break around. And again, I'm not totally sure when they're coming back, but I am crossing my fingers that it's soon. I think you'll probably hear a bit more about this in my next episode, which I think is gonna be a solo episode. But as always, I make no promises because the universe is the universe and you never know what comes up. So anyway, (laughs) still go sign up for it. You can do that at my website at thisplusat.com. Uh, you can also find me elsewhere online at this plus that pod on Twitter and Instagram. And if you feel grateful for this work and you're feeling, let's say, abundant around money, who knows? You can drop me a tip or become a monthly supporter by going to my website and clicking on support. And if you haven't yet, please, of course, like if you don't feel like one of the things that you can give in return for this show right now is money, you can do amazing things for me like rate the show five stars on your favorite app, give the show a review and tell your friends about it if they also like mashing weird things together and talking about the nature of the universe and spirituality and I don't know, all the things I mashed together. (laughs) For now though, I also just wanna thank the team at The Podcast Babes. They are my new production team for the show and you can find them online at thepodcastbabes.com. They've been doing an awesome job of editing every show and doing all the stuff that's required to actually get this out in the world other than booking guests and, uh, you know, actually conducting the interviews. And it has been such a gift to me to have someone doing that for me. It's uh, allowed me to do a lot of other things, including rest, which I'm trying to do more of recently. I hope you're also doing that in the world. Uh, But anyway, (laughs) speaking of you, I'm so grateful for you for listening, for being here, for being someone who's interested in engaging with these topics and engaging in the self-reflection and community reflection necessary to create a new world and hopefully one in which we are all, I don't know, you know, given access to or find access to or create access to wealth and abundance and generosity and building communities that are whole and healed. And first that starts with ourselves, right? So thank you for engaging in this work. Thank you for doing that in your own life. And thank you for all of the responses that you give to me all the time and telling me what this means to you. And yeah, how you're, I don't know, doing the work, I guess. (laughs) So thank you. Until next time.